0: So, 1 Kings. 1 Kings is where we are. We're going to get into chapter 6 tonight. As we finished um, last week in chapter 5, one of the points that I mentioned was the wisdom to scale things based on the task at hand. Um, And if you remember, it was in... It was in chapter Five that we saw this wisdom being carried out that God gave him. We'll look at that again in a few minutes, but if you remember, there was a pretty, pretty large task at hand back actually back in uh, back in chapter four, really quick, verse seven, Solomon remember had twelve governors provided food for the king's household. each one made provision in his own month of the year and we already begin to see some of the wisdom that Solomon already had being put in place so that the nation was fairly organized um, David had a lot of things already put in place for Solomon um, but then Solomon had to prepare to build the temple now remember we ended last week chapter 6 verse 1 where it spoke of the fact that he began to build the temple in the fourth year of his reign if you remember that um, and it takes seven years we'll see at the end of chapter six to get the temple built but It's such a massive project in the way that he builds this temple. It's not that the building itself is very large. We'll see the numbers a little bit tonight, but it's in all of the detail work that went into it and the way that he built it. And so it took time to prepare for this particular type of project. Um, And so a lot of the gold and things of that sort, David had already prepared for. Remember, we talked about that. In fact, David gave him the plans, the blueprints. We read last week in Chronicles where David said that the Lord himself spoke to him by his spirit and gave it to him. David couldn't do the work, but God gave him all the plans. I can imagine David sitting in his office in his palace at his desk, spending time with the Lord and the Lord just downloading the details that he needed for the actual temple. God does that to us sometimes when we really, whether you're in ministry or or you're, you're, you're in ministry on the job, marketplace ministers, or you're in ministry in the home, whatever the case may be, and you're preparing for the things that God has put in your heart and he just gives you clarity on how things should go because wisdom comes from the Lord. And if anybody lacks it, they can ask and he gives freely. Isn't that right? And so there are times where he just gives us those things supernaturally. So I can imagine that there's a bit of organization already have, happening. But if you remember in chapter five, When we got down to where he was getting ready to do this, verse 13, it says, And King Solomon raised up a labor force in Israel. We talked about this last week. Notice in verse 13, 30,000 men. Remember, these men would be sent in shifts of 10,000. They would go to Lebanon for one month and be home for two. Remember that, the wisdom we saw in that? One month they were in Lebanon working beside the Sidonians, King Haram's people, learning how to be Uh, uh, basically logsmen and and millers, learning how to log and mill wood, something that they hadn't necessarily done to the extent because David and Solomon understood that the Sidonians were the best at it. We saw that. Remember that? So, they are there working with them, and then not only that, if you remember uh, a few verses down, verse 15, another 70,000 um, were carrying out burdens, if you will. These were the guys that were doing the labor and the transportation for all of this stuff, um, and making sure that they picked up the drop place where King Haram would ship the the material to, and then bring it on in to Jerusalem. And then in verse sixteen, there was another three thousand that we called middle management last week. And so this this whole thing is a massive project. That Solomon understands that the only way to get this done is to have a labor force that's growing in skill and understanding. But he had to take care of them by allowing them to take care of their home, their businesses back in Israel. Some of them were shepherds. Some of them were farmers. Some of them kept vineyards, I'm sure, and did other things. But they're going off now to, to, to take part in this massive building project. So he has them two months at home handling their business so nothing suffers. And then one month on the road where they're getting paid to do that as well. And so the economy is now increasing. These men are growing and and things are happening within Israel. Remember, we talked about all of the support functions that would have to go into this type of labor force functioning. They got to eat. They have to have clothes to replace stuff that gets ripped and torn. And history tells us that none of these men got sick or died in the whole seven years of the process. Remember we talked about that? It's massive just massive, and it took God's wisdom for him to be able to figure out how to scale something of this size to be able to carry out this type of project without breaking his country or or destroying the men of Israel who had to perform this labor. And all of that took God's wisdom. And I think that, you know, a couple of things, as I I called you Marketplace Ministers, and we'll talk about that again uh, on Sunday, but God gives us what we need to carry out the task that he's called us to do. And I think that we have to be, I don't want to say brave enough. We have to be willing to walk in faith to make changes in our lives when he calls us to do things that may be bigger than what we think we can do. And usually that's the case because in order for him to build faith, he doesn't give us easy things to do. Some things are just not easy. And we'll talk about that tonight. And so he challenges us. And I pray the Lord is challenging you. He's challenging me. And there are points in our lives where things have to change. We have to do things differently. We have to be willing to listen to what he is telling us to do. And then in faith step out and follow something that doesn't actually make a lot of sense. Maybe Solomon had never seen this done before. But it was what God was calling him to do with the wisdom that God had given him. In fact, I want you to go back to chapter 4 again really quick. And look um, with me in verse 7. Chapter 4, verse 7. This is how... How Solomon got to this place. Remember, we're in Gibeon now, back in chapter four. God appeared uh, in verse five at Gibeon. The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. Hey, ask what you will. Remember that? In verse seven, Solomon is now rehearsing. He says, now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father. But I am a little child and do not know how to go out and how to come in. In other words, Lord, you put me here remember that? This is where wisdom comes in. I think if you, want, if you really want to receive wisdom from God, the first thing you realize is that you are where you are. We talked about this because God has put you there. It's God, amen? Number two in verse seven, and you don't know how to do the thing he's calling you to do. If you can, if we can humble ourselves and just be honest about that. I remember, I remember when Lisa got pregnant. Lord, I don't know how to be a father. I don't, know how to, I don't know how to do this, you know, um, or along the way, all of the things that he would put before you. Lord, I don't know how to do this thing, but this is where you brought me to. Verse eight. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Lord, and you've placed me in the midst of your people. Remember, there, Solomon had to understand that it wasn't his. It was God's. And that, by the way, if we need wisdom, if we're going to be a steward, I think I'm just repeating myself, but maybe we need to hear it again. One, one thing that we need to have in our heart is the understanding that all of this is his. It's not mine. I don't know what to do with it, but I'm here because he placed me here. That's where faith can begin to be exercised. Because once all of those things are understood inside your heart, now you're prepared to be able to receive the wisdom of the Lord and walk in faith in the thing he's called you to. He says, therefore, in verse 9, to your servant, uh, give to your servant understand, an understanding heart to judge your people. Lord, give, give me what I need to carry out this great task that you've put before me, which is too much for me to be able to do on my own, but I'm trusting in you. And that's what we need to be able to do for anything in the life that God has called us to. You know, sometimes it's difficult. Lord, I, don't, I don't know how to be a single dad. I'm raising a, a girl, daughter and I say the th- I got then I got to I got to think differently. You know, I'm on a birthday. I got to think like mom thinks. Take pictures, you knucklehead. I don't take pictures. Lisa takes pictures. I don't even like pictures, but I got to snap pictures. It's like, you know, Lord, like he downloads in the moment the things that we need for the things that we're facing. And so we see all of that and we continue to look at this massive project that's before Solomon. And in some ways, we can all relate to Solomon as we go back into chapter 6 now. We're going to pick it up. Really, verse 2 is where we need to go to start. But the things that are going on in your life, like I said from Sunday, you're called to be a certain way because you're believers and he's invested his Holy Spirit in your life. But that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And we can't be the people of God unless we begin to learn to walk by faith because the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please him and the just shall live by faith. In fact, if anyone comes to him, they must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's the life we're called to. We're not called to an easy life. But as we're going to see tonight, there's a purpose in it all. All right. Verse one, I'll read um, just a few verses and then I'll pray and then we'll dive in. In verse one, it says, and it came to pass in the uh, in the four hundred and eightieth year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt, date stamp. We've already talked about that. Notice in the fourth year of Solomon's reign, because it really took about four years to prepare to start the work, reign over Israel in the month of Ziv, which is the second month. We Remember, we talked about morale. All right, I'll, I'll mention that again, that he began to build the house of the Lord. Now, the house which King Solomon built for the Lord, its length was 60 cubits. It's width, 20 cubits. It's height, 30 cubits. So Lord, as we begin to look at your text tonight, I pray that you would continue to just open our hearts to the things that we need to hear because we're your people and you've called us to many things and we need, we need to understand, Lord, even how you worked in Solomon to build faith so that we can trust that you will work in us. So I pray that you would take away all the other things that have our attention tonight and allow us to hear from you Lord, we love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, the morale part from last week was the fact that he started the work in the second month instead of the first month because he wanted them to understand that this major work that we're about to take on, uh, the point of this work is not the work itself. It's always to worship him. And so, worship takes place for Israel in the first month of their year because it's the first month of their year when that, that, well, When God brought them out of Egypt in the Exodus, he said, this now will be the first month of your year. Remember that from now on, this is your first month. And every year at the beginning of the year, you will remember that I brought you out of slavery. I delivered you with a mighty hand and brought you out of out of Egypt. And so first they worship. Then they started the work in the second month. So that was the morale part. And I I think that it's always it's always good to know, know. Why are we doing what we're doing? What's the point of it anyway? And as a leader, remember, as a spirit-filled believer, you are a leader in some right. Everybody understand? Okay, and as a leader, as the person, people of God, um, you know, we need to be able to clearly communicate why we're doing what we're doing. And that always helps people. We need to be able to give clear understanding, clear direction to your children. God likes that all the way through the Old Testament. God told Israel to set up monuments and stones so when the children ask, you can explain to them, this is why we do this. This is what we're doing this for. So when the children start seeing this massive building project going on, say, remember last month we celebrated Passover at the tabernacle, but now we're building a temple because God has established us in the land. And this is how we operate as believers. So we have to always be able to give a quick account for what we're doing, why we're doing it, why we believe, what our faith is built on. So we have to understand the word of God and be able to clearly communicate to people who want to know, this is who I am. This is why I operate the way I do. This is why I don't do certain things that everybody else may be doing. It's not because I'm self-righteous or I think I'm better than anybody. It's because it would grieve my Lord. And that's why I don't, that's the only reason I don't, you know, and be able to talk to your coworkers and your neighbors in that form and fashion. And so in verse two, it says, now the house... Uh, which King Solomon built for the Lord, its length is 60 cubits. Now you can do the math. I won't go back through this. We did a lot of math in Ezekiel. The cubic is somewhere between 18 and 21 inches. Um, uh, excuse me, yeah, 21 inches, 18 to 21 inches. So one cubic is almost um, lower, maybe maybe two feet. If you do the math, it comes out to about 90 feet is the the length that's being given to us here. And no matter which cubic you end up going with, the, the the Jewish, the Egyptian, the angel, whatever, you're going to be somewhere between 90 and 100 feet in length here. Um, so 60 cubits. It's width, 20 cubits. Um, so likewise, we got about 30 feet in width. And then its height is 30 cubits, which is about 45 feet high. OK, so about 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, 45 feet high. Not that big. When you really think about it, you know, not that big. The, the building that we're renovating is actually bigger in, in, in actual scale. Um, and the, the, the reason why this temple is not very big is because the size of the temple was never the point. Um, in fact, what he is doing and remember, David did the blueprint, which came from God. Everybody with me? Yes. God doesn't need some massive structure. Remember, the point is that God dwells in the midst of his people. The building doesn't need to be big because the people are not going to go in the building to worship. Only the priest goes in the building. To actually do certain functions. The high priest goes in the first compartment once a day to do certain things to make sure that the light, the menorah is running, is burning rather, um, uh, to offer incense and to make sure once a week he changes out the showbread and all of these things. And then he goes into the second compartment once a year to sprinkle blood on the mercy seat on the day of atonement. Um, as he's now sacrificed on behalf of the people. So there are functions that are going on, but it's not a lot of activity that happens in these compartments. It's where God dwells in the midst of his people. And all of this is a picture. It was a type of that which is in heaven. Everybody understand? Remember that? You know, it's just beautiful. You go through the, the first part in, into the uh, outer court um, You come to the veil that leads into the inner court where only the priests are going. And in there you have the the bronze lava where they wash up and whatnot. And uh, it reminds me of the sea of glass that's before the throne in heaven. And then you've got the altar that's burning there. And and they carry out all the sacrifices. Then they go up into the holy place. And that's where, again, you see the menorah, um, which is basically seven lamps. One in the middle and three on each side makes seven, right? Seven is the number of completion, yeah, well, what do you have before the throne in heaven? You have the seven spirits of God before the throne in heaven. It's the complete and powerful work of the Holy Spirit himself. And then you have the, the, the incense being offered, which represents the prayers of the saints. You have the showbread with the loaves, which represented the tribes of Israel. And then beyond that, the mercy seat above the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the throne of God, where his Shekinah glory would, would be. And it's all symbolic. It's all just a pattern and a type of something greater. It's amazing. When we get up there, we're going to see all this amazing stuff. And so it's not for people to go in and worship. It's for the priest to perform worship because it's it's, it's the sacrifices that allow God to have fellowship with his people in this way. And all of this was appointing to Christ who would later come and pay the price for sin. And the whole process then changed in a sense. After Christ, all of this now is symbolic. When we when when Jesus builds his temple, book of Ezekiel, and he reigns for a thousand years, that stuff is now symbolic. Why? Because Christ has paid the price. There are no more sacrifices for sin. That's what Hebrews tells us. Once and for all he offered. Once and for all. And God, God actually put his check mark on the thing when he ripped the the temple the veil in the temple from top to bottom and exposed the holy place. Says, Hey, don't need that anymore. The only way you get to me now is through faith in what my son just completed and finished on the cross. That's why Jesus said it is finished. I can come to God freely through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no separation anymore. There's nothing that's between me and God. What can separate me from the love of Christ? uh, God in Christ Jesus, as Paul said, Romans chapter eight, nothing, nothing, nothing. Amen. And so so all of that now, that's why it's not that large in the sense of what we might think of in ancient temples But even though it's not large, it is a splendid temple because God will dwell there. We'll see that. Now, then the vestibule in front of the sanctuary, there's going to be several structures at the main, the main sanctuary, uh, the vestibule in front of it. It said the vestibule in front of the sanctuary of the house was 20 cubits long across the width of the house and the width of the vestibule extended 10 cubits from the front of the house. Now, you can go online, by the way. Almost like we did when we were going through the book of Ezekiel and we looked at the, uh, the temple and I put it on the screen. I didn't do that for this, but you can find a lot of drawings and renderings of what it would have looked like, even though we don't, you know, obviously have a photograph, but they've scaled it out. And it says in verse four, and he made for the house windows with beveled frames against the wall of the temple. He built chambers all around against the wall of the temple all around the sanctuary and the inner sanctuary. Thus he made side chambers all around it. Now we, we kind of saw side chambers in the temple that Jesus is going to build in, in the book of Ezekiel. So it seems to me that God definitely gave David this pattern of which uh, he gave to Solomon of which Solomon is now building. But it's a smaller scale version almost, a little different. Of what Jesus is going to build when he returns. I think that's pretty interesting. So these side chambers are going to be built. We're going to see three, li- three stories high. Notice it says the lowest chamber was five cubits wide. You contractors can vision and you architects can vision this and how it's set up. Five cubits wide. Okay. The middle was six cubits wide. And the third, third story of this was seven cubits wide. You can kind of see it going out a little further as it moves away from the wall of the sanctuary can y'all envision that a little bit in your head okay that is pretty good architecture in my mind because it's the wisdom of God to provide the structure that they need for this thing so that each one would have its own support beams because it's against the wall but detached from the wall of the actual sanctuary okay y'all follow me So it's separate but against it and it needs to be properly supported. So they got beams that are outside the bottom, the the level beneath that support the level above and it just moves outward. Okay. Um, let's see. And so it says it's so that the support beams would not be fastened to the walls of the temple. And verse seven, verse seven says, and the temple, when it was being built was built with stone finished at the quarry. Remember, we had um, men who were working at the quarry, those 70,000 men working at the quarries, um, quarry and stone. So the temple was built uh, with stone finished at the quarry. That's interesting. You usually don't finish it necessarily at the quarry when you're building foundations and walls so much in that time. Um, Usually what they would do is they would they would get them at a rough size and then they would get them there and they, they would make their adjustments as they needed to as they were setting them in place. But here they're finished at the quarry and it says here so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. In other words, there needed to be labor of men working at the temple site in Jerusalem to put it together, but it didn't, It's as if Solomon didn't want that to dominate what was happening, so that when people would see it, they would see a, a bit of, man, this is of God, this is about God, and there's a bit of wisdom and, and actually um, real thought that went into doing this in such a way to where people wouldn't be dominated with hearing the craftsman's tool there at the, at the temple site itself. Isn't that amazing? I love that. But it's kind of also a picture of something. This man is laboring to put it together there on the site. But all the work was still being done just off-site at the quarry. So there was a lot of chiseling. They had to take precise measurements so they could go to the quarry and get it right. Imagine there might have even been a little bit of travel back and forth. Hey, send word that the next stone needs to be, and they maybe drew it out and measured. It needs to be this way. We need to make an adjustment. But that adjustment has to be done at the quarry. So all the chiseling and hammering and whatever they would do, to smooth stuff out would happen there. They would probably have to label this one's next and then this one's second and this one's third as they're shipping them. Everybody get what I'm saying? Yes. Probably at the quarry, fitting them together, say, OK, that's straight. That's great. It goes this far out. This meets the specifications. So they probably had to model it a little bit every few stones then put them on the cart and ship them by the 70,000 that would then bring it into Jerusalem, and then this is the next one by label, we set it in place. Everybody with me? Yeah. Yes. And that's amazing because it's kind of a picture of, of our lives in Christ to a degree because the quarry, in a sense, kind of represents earth, and then the temple site, that kind of represents heaven in the sense that all the work is being done on us now so then, when we get there, we just fit together and we praise the king. Peter kind of picked up on this in the New Testament. Peter said um, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, he said, Coming to him, Christ, as to a living stone, because Christ is the chief cornerstone, Paul said, Rejected he indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. But Peter says, You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. A holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're going to fit together up there, y'all. He's doing a work. He's chiseling you right now. Man, I don't like being chiseled. This thing hurts. I don't like the chiseling and the sanding and the measuring that's being done on my on my life and on my heart. And and it's like the, 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 now what I'm going through, it's like the, the thing. things are being exposed in there that I didn't really understand and know who I am and what's going on in me and why I'm, why I'm dealing with the things I'm dealing with this year and, and all of this stuff. But, but then I read stuff like this and I realize, you know, it's because I'm going to fit when I get there. Oh they won't have to figure me out either. I'm labeled. They'll know, hey, Te- Kevin just arrived. He goes over there. <laughs> right, right beside whoever, you know. And I get in, I get in place, you know. It's kind of like when you're trying to get the choir right. You know, those of you who come from <laughs> traditional church... Choir members have to be put in certain places. And then, you know, coming from the African-American traditional church, then everybody has to move in unison a certain way. <laughs> and, you know, and all that kind of stuff that we do down here. But when we get up there, we're going to fit because he's already worked everything out in our lives. Um, so, yeah, maybe maybe why you're going through the things you're going through is because there's a, a you are a particular piece that fits in the body of Christ a particular way. And you were created uniquely as an individual to do your part to fit in the body where you're supposed to fit. And so, therefore, you have to be worked on in a particular way down here at the quarry so that when we get up there, it all works out. Um, you know, and that's a picture there. And I, I, I know that um, we're told that Paul says that if need be, you grieve with various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold may be found to the praise and glory and honor of Christ Jesus and we'll, we'll receive the end of our faith the salvation of our souls so we're going through a process down here and the process is not fun but if it was easy we wouldn't be the people of God hey Jesus didn't get it easy to redeem us took something he took his precious blood He had to. he had to go to the cross and so now we've been told to take up our own cross and follow after him you know and so This is why we go through the things that we go through. It ain't easy, and it definitely ain't fun. But there's a picture there. So the temple, the temple is fitting together perfectly as they bring the stones and place them where they are supposed to be. So there was no chiseling. I imagine if a stone didn't fit, put it on the cart and take it back to the quarry. Because we can't chisel here. Because King Solomon said no chiseling. So take it back. We got to take a. No, I need y'all to. Take another quarter inch off of this side of the stone at this particular angle. Imagine that's so precise. At this particular angle on the left side, it needs to be taken off. The angle needs to turn in and tilt downward so that when the next one comes in, you know. Imagine that for a minute. You know, you do that. Do anything. You you know this. Whether you bake cakes and decorate them, it doesn't matter what you do. There's there's certain things that have to be in place to do those things. So all of that had to take place at the quarry. So. Verse um, eight, as we continue, he says, the doorway for the middle story was on the right side of the temple. They went up by stairs to the middle story and from the middle story to the third. In other words, these chambers go around the temple. They're not actually attached to the temple um, and it's three stories high having their own columns to support them. There's a doorway on the outside of the temple that goes into the chamber. You can't go into the temple and then through a door into the chamber because the priests, only the high priests go in there, right? Everybody know? So these other priests working would go in this other door on the outside of the chambers into the lower compartment, which is five cubits. And then they would go upstairs to the second level if they needed to go there. And then to get to the third level, they would then go upstairs. Does that make sense? This is kind of interesting. It's all kind of clear. So he built the temple, verse nine, and finished it. And he paneled the temple with beams and boards of cedar. So again, not only are these stones custom cut, but they're using the best quality wood available to them during that time cedar and uh from lebanon which is which cut by the sidonians this is the best amazing wood that they're utilizing in the in the temple which it should be because if we're doing something for god we want to do it with excellence we talked about that everything we do for god should be done with excellence Uh, verse 10 and he built side chambers against the entire temple each five cubics high They were attached to the temple with cedar beams. So they would be attached from the outside of the temple walls with cedar beams. Okay, verse 11 through 13. I would say here what we want to look at is not letting the work distract you or even become your idol, the work of God. Verse 11 says, then the word of the Lord came to Solomon saying concerning this temple which you are building. If you walk in my statutes, execute my judgments, keep my commandments, all my commandments, he says, and walk in them, then I will perform my word with, with you, which I spoke to your father David, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. So it's interesting in that this amazing work is happening. Solomon has scaled up the labor force of Israel to be able to to carry out this amazing task with precision and they are busy and it is happening and people are seeing the results. The the, the stones are going up every morning they get up and they went to bed. It was a certain level to get up. Oh man, there's like, you know, five more feet uh, or whatever, or another cubic on high. We can see it from our bedroom window. Now it's, it's going up right there in Jerusalem It's told to us in Chronicles that's being built on uh, Mount Moriah, Um, the threshing floor of Arnon, which David purchased. So, it's right there in, in Israel, and people would have been able to see it. And so, this work is happening. And anybody passing by would have been like, man, Solomon knows what he's doing. This man is amazing. And while all of that is happening, God shows up and says, the word of the Lord, verse 11, came to Solomon saying, hey, concerning this temple you're building, can you catch the language? Because I understand God. Like, I'm busy, man. I'm getting it done. It's happening. And then the Holy Spirit says, hey, by the way, what you're doing over there, I need you to focus on this one thing. And notice what he says to him. Concerning the temple which you are building. And then he doesn't talk about the temple. You catch the language? Hey, concerning this this amazing work that you are doing, which your father planned for and I've commissioned you to do. Concerning all of that, if you walk in my statutes. And execute my judgments. Then I'll dwell there. Then I will carry out everything I promised. It's amazing to be able to hear how God interacts with him. Because it's, it could be that Solomon is so wrapped up in seeing the plans that his dad drew on paper coming to pass. That he might have even forgotten the whole point of what's happening. And what God had promised. And what he's actually called to do. And we can do that. You know, hey, we're in a building project now. It's amazing. It's amazing to see things begin to happen and things, you know, for years. And I remember back at Kids or Kids, I would walk and count ceiling tiles and draw on paper to make sure that the, what we were about to do at Guy Road was going to we were going to fit in there. And it was no space left. I mean, it fit precisely. And then we got there. Oh, it all came to pass. And we used to do here when this was uh, this room was this. All this was empty. It was green carpet. It was an athletic center on the floor. And I would come and I would walk. No ceiling tiles at this time. So I had to bring my tape measure and walk and measure, walk and measure and make sure that it was going to. And I'm doing all of that, you know, but but the Lord always reminds us, hey, don't let this overshadow the important thing. Because the reality is it doesn't matter about this building or the next building. None of that actually matters. What you know what matters? What matters is what happens in this place when we gather, we worship him, we feast upon his word and it changes us. And we fellowship together. And there's a sweetness that takes place. And we can't ever lose that no matter where we meet. That's what's important. I'd rather have the presence of God in my life than a life filled with things and accomplishments. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. I think I have it on the screen. Paul says, but what things were gained to me These I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things as loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Christ is the important thing he's saying. Verse nine and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says it does. None of it matters. I just need to know Christ. And I think that's um, something that we all need to come to the place of it's almost as if paul understands and god is trying to remind solomon hey i would rather y'all keep that old raggedy leather tabernacle that y'all drug through the wilderness and enjoy my presence than to build this glorious temple with all the furnishings overlaid with gold and drift away from me which is exactly what's going to happen because we know the story we've already read through the other prophets so it's important that we always understand these things in our own lives Man, Christ is the goal. Christ is the is the he's the he's the finish line. Christ is what we're trying to obtain. Lord, knowing him and being close to him. That's all that really, truly matters. And if and if anything in our life causes us to miss that or drift away from that, it's not worth it. And we come to that place. Then we're at a place that we can where we need to be. And so. He says, so if you do all of these things in verse 12, um, if you walk in my statutes, execute my judgments, keep all my commandments, walk in them, then I will perform my word with you. But it's not just with you, Solomon. It's also what I spoke to your father. Don't forget, Solomon, <laughs> this ain't all about you. This is not all about you. I made the promise to David. That's why you're here today, Solomon. Whoa. And he says, and I will dwell among the children of Israel, remember his this, the whole point of the temple is that God's glory would dwell there, and will not forsake my people Israel. In verse fourteen, so Solomon built the temple and finished it. So he he finished the work, and you know he walked with the Lord until um, he allowed women, his collection of women, to cause his heart to drift away. And uh, we always have to remember that when we're talking about Solomon. And so God might warn you from time to time when you're busy doing something, he might just warn you, say, hey, you know, it's a good work, but you're drifting. It's a good ministry you're doing, but you're drifting. Don't let the ministry, don't let the work become your idol. We've been called to do a lot of things. Um, You know, men, we've been called to work and provide for the family, you know, in a sense, um, you know. Parents and even single parents in the room, even call to work and make sure that you take care of the church. All those things are great. But we, if his presence is not there in the midst of, of our hearts and what we're doing, we don't have what we need to do those things. You, you don't have what you need. You just don't have it. If you're doing it without him, you ain't getting anything done. In fact, it's going to begin to go in the wrong direction. We'll wrap this up. Verse 15 says, well, we got a ways to go, actually. So we'll read for a while, some details. Verse 15 says, and he built the inside walls of the temple with cedar boards. From the floor of the temple to the ceiling. He paneled the inside with wood and he covered the floor of the temple with planks of cypress. He only used cedar and cypress in all of this. Um, Then he built the 20 cubit room at the rear of the temple from the floor to the ceiling with cedar boards. Okay. So the whole holy place is covered with cedar and cedar's good. Cedar smells good. Cedar doesn't rot. Bugs don't like it. You know, (laughs) they generally don't want to eat the cedar. That's why some people use cedar mulch right close to their houses because it kind of the bugs don't like to fool with it. Anyway, that's a hint for you. Um, He built the inside as the inner sanctuary, as the most holy place. And in front of it, the temple sanctuary was 40 cubits long. The inside of the temple was cedar carved with ornamental buds um, and open flowers. So we get into great detail. I mean, it's really lavish what we're going to see. All the cedar there was no, uh, excuse me, all was cedar there was no stone to be seen. So inside, you got to get it. It's a stone exterior, but inside is custom cut, paneled cedar. Verse 19, and he prepared the inner sanctuary inside the temple to set the ark of the covenant of the Lord there. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long. By the way, in, in, in Chronicles, Second Chronicles, there's a lot more detail about this. 20 cubits wide, 20 cubits high. You got basically a box. OK, so you got um, basically 30 by 30 by 30. Um, which kind of was like the tabernacle, the the holy place in the tabernacle to an extent, just smaller. He overlaid it with pure gold and overlaid the altar of cedar. So if you catch this, all of this is now going to get overlaid with gold. The carvings are going to be still visible. But can you even imagine this for a minute? Can you imagine this? It's overlaid with gold. I can't imagine this. You know, um, this is amazing to begin to think about. And I, I tried to think today, how would you even go about that? How would you even go about then overlaying all of this with gold and the weight of that and the support of that and all of this stuff that goes into this thought process? In fact, um, and we'll get into this, you know, Israel, the Jews now, as they're trying to prepare the Temple Institute there, they have struggles trying to figure out how do you make a gold menorah? Because gold is heavy. And so, you know, what kind of support was inside the gold? Because it was all hammered out of gold when when uh, Moses was having that built. How did that stand there? I mean, they have challenges even trying to think through that. Verse 21. So Solomon overlaid the inside of the temple. Notice this, y'all, with pure gold. He stretched gold chains across the front of the inner sanctuary and overlaid it with gold. You know, this would be chains separating the holy place from the most holy place. Pure gold being overlaid over it. Verse 22, the whole temple he overlaid, <laughs> overlaid with gold until he had finished all the temple. Also, he overlaid with gold the entire altar that was by the inner sanctuary. So in other words, when you get into when you go into the actual sanctuary, you have the holy place, which is the which is the, the square box in the front room. And again, menorah is in there, table of showbread, altar of incense. That's where the high priest goes in daily. Okay, daily he goes in. He makes sure that the menorah is burning and offers incense. Um, And then he also once a week changes out the showbread. Everybody understand this is his daily ministry. Imagine, though, the menorah being lit in a room that is pure gold. I, I would just love to be able to, to, to see what that would look like. I mean, imagine the, um, all of the, and then the, the table of incense, the altar of incense is, um, has the coals burning there, and it would be illuminating and sparkling, and it would just be beautiful, I'm sure. And then they go into the Holy of Holies, which we'll talk about. Um, so inside the inner sanctuary, he made two cherubim, verse 23, of olive wood, each 10 cubics high, So, these guys are pretty tall, 10 cubits high. They're 20-something feet high. One wing of the cherubim was five cubits, and the other wing of the cherubim was five cubits. So, the the wingspan was 20-plus feet. Um, Ten cubits from the tip of the wing to the tip of the other wing. Now, this is in the Holy of Holies, once the priest would go beyond that veil once a year. Verse 25, and the other cherubim was 10 cubits. Both cherubim were of the same size and shape. Their height... The height of the cherubim was 10 cubits and so was the other. Then he set the cherubim inside the inner room and they stretched out the wings of the cherubim so that the wings of one touched the wall and the wings of the other cherubim touched the other wall. They spanned the whole room and their wings touched each other in the middle of the room. But check it out. Verse 28. Also, he overlaid the cherubim with gold. Can you imagine this? Now, first of all, the first time the high priest would have went in the room, he would have it would have been overwhelming. He would have gone in to sprinkle blood and and the sparkle of these big, huge gold cherubim would have probably made him hit the floor. Then they see the Shekinah glory of God over the mercy seat. He would have been done. That's why the priest had to go in with a rope tied around him. With bells on it just in case, you know, he died or had a heart attack or there was sin in his life and in the presence of God, he would die and they would have to pull him out, you know, and then get the next priest to tie the rope and go in. Well, he would have to go through the ritual cleansing and everything first and then he would then have to go in. And so he's praying the first dude don't die because if he dies, I definitely don't want to go in. You know, <laughs> imagine all of all of the stuff. Imagine the night before the day of atonement. The priest can't sleep. Because I might die tomorrow, he's thinking. So he can't sleep that night. It was weighty, weighty. And then he would have to go in and do his duty. He's already seen all this bloodshed from the sacrifice of the animal. And then he goes beyond the veil and he sees this Shekinah glory. There's no lights in there. The presence of God is illuminating this room. And these big cherubim are sparkling right in front of you. And he would hit the the gold deck if you will. But he can't stop there. He's got to get up and sprinkle the blood seven times as he's praying and confessing the sins of Israel at this mercy seat. You know, I mean, this is an overwhelming experience for for the priests. And this is an amazing room that has been created here for them to carry that out. So verse 28, also he overlaid the cherubim with gold. Verse 29 is when try to wrap up here. Then he carved all the walls of the temple all around, both the inner and and outer sanctuaries with carved figures of cherubim and palm trees and open flowers, very decorative. Um, And the floor of the temple he overlaid with gold both the inner and outer sanctuaries. Um, For the entrance of the sanctuary, he made doors of olive wood. Um, The lintel and doorposts were one fifth of the wall. Imagine, it's pretty large. The two doors were of olive wood, and he carved on them figures of cherubim palm trees and open flowers and overlaid them with, you guessed it, gold. (laughs) Solomon had gold because David collected it. And he spread gold on the cherubim and on the palm trees that were carved in the walls, by the way, in verse 33. Um, So for the door of the sanctuary, he also made doorposts of olive wood one-fourth of the wall so it's pretty large doors there and and the two doors were of cypress wood two panels um, comprised one folding door and two panels comprise the other folding door and then he carved cherubim, palm trees and open flowers on them and he overlaid them with gold applied evenly on the carved wood what kind of craftsman did he have I wonder we're going to learn about some of the craftsmen in Chapter Seven, but these guys were pretty good. to have uh, gold evenly overlaid, and it was probably if we if we could see it, we wouldn't believe it because our craftsmen today probably wouldn't be able to figure this out quickly. You know, because this is massive. I mean, we don't gold now is so expensive. I forget; I haven't looked at it in a while. It's around two thousand dollars an ounce, roughly, somewhere between 1800 and eighteen hundred and two thousand an ounce, I believe, um, of gold. If you try to price this out, I don't even, I didn't even attempt that. Um I don't even know if I could figure that math out, trying to guesstimate how much it would take to overlay a door, let alone a cherubim. You know, how many ounces are we dealing with and what kind of money would we be talking about? It's amazing to, to think about. Um, but the craftsmen, they were they were doing a good work and and so verse 36, and he built the inner court. With three rows of hewn stone and a row of cedar beams in the fourth year, the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid in the month of Ziv, so the first year now he's kind of backing up and giving us kind of a time frame to how long it's taken to do all of this stuff, so we got a foundation in the in the uh, first year that he started building it uh, and in the eleventh year in the month of bull which is the eighth month, the house was finished. So now we're jumping ahead seven years. And he tells us this. In fact, it says the house was finished in all its details and according to all its plans. So he was seven years in building it, which gives us the impression that he built it exactly according to the plans that he was receiving from his father, David. So he carried out the work that his father charged him with and that the Lord's charged him with. He did it with the wisdom that the Lord gave him and he finished it. And I think that's beautiful for us to begin to see something so beautiful and so detailed. It was it was actually finished. The work was finished. And I imagine it was a blessing for them. We're gonna see when he dedicates it in several chapters. We We may not actually get to those chapters for a while because remember, I'm gonna take a break from Wednesday nights for a little while Um, but it's going to be amazing when they, when they dedicate this and, you know, God's glory shows up and the priest can't even get any work done because God shows up in a mighty way. And so we'll get to see all of those things. But as we're going through, we're learning again about leadership. We're learning about, um, receiving the wisdom of God. We're learning about applying in faith, the wisdom that God has given us. And when God calls you to something, he not only provides the resources But it gives you what you need from a place of wisdom to actually carry it out. And we have to function by faith at times. So in in, in order for us to grow, it's kind of like if you work out muscles grow when they are put through intense resistance. You know, when they have to hold up under under heavy weight and pressure, they grow your endurance, your wind grows. If you're if you're a runner um, as you run. Long distances, And as you push yourself a little further and, and you get stronger, your body gets stronger, your heart gets stronger, and all that kind of stuff, your ability to, re- to recover faster, all of that happens with our physical bodies. Right. We understand that. Well, the same thing, I believe, in a st- to an extent with your faith, you build momentum with your faith. The more you actually trust him with things that are out of your control, then the more you grow in your faith and the more you get accustomed to how he works in your life. And eventually you just kind of like, hey, he said it. I trust him. Let's go do it. Because you, you, you build that momentum. And so all of these things are pushing us and, and preparing us for the things that God has for us. But we got to close out for tonight. So bow your heads with me. Lord, thank you. Lord, this group of people, as we gather here, Lord God, we got stuff to do when we leave here. Tonight, tomorrow, school, classes, work, workplaces, projects, deadlines, coworkers, bosses, employees, whatever the case may be. You've put up places, Lord God, for the season in our lives. I pray that you would just, Lord, show us, show us your glory. Give us wisdom. But Lord, give each person in this room, Lord, I, be- I believe that you want to stretch them. I pray you would give each one of them, Lord God, the boldness, the, uh, the strength, the faith, the hope to step out and do the things that you've called them to do this so they can see greater things in you, Lord. I pray a blessing over their households and their families and their travels, that you would keep us until you bring us together again, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing.